Hello, and welcome to Season 5 of the LuxCast, where we explore the intersections of Christian faith, culture, and our lives. My name is Megan Rice, Communications Coordinator at Western Theological Seminary. The theme of this season is public theology, as we engage in dialogue about topics that affect both the church and society. Today's guest is WTS alumnus and Duke Divinity School THD candidate, Alberto La Rosa. Alberto's doctoral work focuses on a theology of immigration, and in this interview, he shares why his work is important in today's cultural moment and what it's like to approach theology of immigration as an immigrant himself. Sarah Sanchez, a current WTS student originally from Honduras, sat down with Alberto. Well, Alberto, it's really good to have you here. Thank you so much for being on the LexCast. Thank you for having me here. Um, yeah, so you're a doctoral student at Duke. Mm-hmm. And um, how about if we start with what's your focus you know, on, your, on your doctoral work? Absolutely. So uh, by trade, I'm a theologian and an ethicist. So I think about what are the theological issues and ethical concerns surrounding immigration. Uh, I myself am an immigrant, so it's a lot of sort of, of working through my own experiences in my life. That's the broad, broadly what I do at Duke. Really? And um, can you tell us a little bit more of the specifics then who is informing this work and what are the intersections? Absolutely. Yeah. So there's been a really an explosion of literature on the topic of immigration lately mm-hmm. on all fields, um, Christian literature, non-Christian literature. Uh, and one of the reasons that I got um, into this field, besides the fact that it's something very personal for me, mm-hmm. is that I found that in a lot of the literature, uh, I couldn't find myself. Um, it really wasn't addressed to me as an immigrant. So, uh, and don't, don't get me wrong, I think these, question, these questions that the literature is asking is really critical. They're really critical questions like, um, what, is, what are borders? What are they for? Mm-hmm. What is Christian hospitality? How do we practice it? Um, but that we in all those questions, like should we um, race our borders, put up walls, or should we take them down? Should we be radically hospitable and welcome everybody? Or should we be more thoughtful about who we are more responsible for, who's nearer to us, who's distant to us? That we is always the citizen. Mm-hmm. It's always the host. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always the citizen and the host who's being asked to have a conversion, to have a change of heart. Uh, well, I'm not in that role. Uh, those are not the questions that I ask myself as an immigrant. As an immigrant, I ask questions like, why did we leave home? Uh, what does it look like for me to live well here? Uh, questions about assimilation and enculturation, uh, but more than that, um, what's my relationship and responsibility to the land of Peru? Uh, and should I return? Uh, I think one of the key experiences that prompted a lot of this work was going back to Peru for the first time after 15 years and realizing how much I owed to the land. That air, those air particles in Peru, vibrated through my vocal cords the first time I said amen. Hmm. That ground sustained me the first time I took the Eucharist. Uh, that, the, that place heard me make my first prayer to God. Like, I have a responsibility. I have a history. Uh, so not, many, not much Christian literature right now is asking those questions. Yeah. And I think it's a huge loss to thinking about immigration only while addressing the host and the citizen and not the immigrant. So my task, you could say, like my goal is, what is wise migration? How do we migrate? How do we leave home, make home in new places? How do we figure out what it looks like to return home, whether or not we should? 
And, and how does that participate in what God is doing in the world, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? How do those two things intersect? That's, that's beautiful. And um, your, your sense of, of home and belonging, and then from my understanding, you connect that also to John Calvin yeah. and um, the table. Yes. How, how do you do that? How are you connecting those two? It, it comes, it's a good question. It comes very organically for me. Um, part of my own journey was coming to a reformed institution like the one we're in, Western, mm -hmm. but also even before that, going to a reformed undergraduate institution, Trinity Christian College in Palos Heights. Um, I'm a big believer that uh, our, our doctoral work, our thought, our thinking about issues needs to reflect where we've been and who we are. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's integrated into thinking about immigration. Uh, so, but specifically, um, I've been thinking for a while now about John Calvin and the Eucharist, um, particularly the way that I learned it in seminary. There's a lot of movement of bodies going on. Mm -hmm. There's bodies going up to Christ. There's this Holy Spirit going down, and then we process. Um, we, we dip our hands in the holy water. We take the elements. There's just a lot of bodies in motion. And I started thinking, there's got to be something here that I can use and think through to inform my views on immigration, and vice versa. So I think one of the mistakes we can make, too, is to have this sort of one-directional approach where we just say, we go to church, and then we apply it in the world. We have to think, too, like, how might the experiences of immigrants in the world reflect on how we think about what's going on in the supper? Uh, for instance, we talk a lot about pilgrimage, mm -hmm. but especially, I mean, we don't really have a sense of what pilgrimage is anymore. Mm -hmm. It's not really a common practice. But we do know that undocumented immigrants have to cross the desert to get to America, cross these borders. And for, for many, it's a very religious experience. Mm -hmm. right? the, people would utter and say it, they were only able to do it because God allowed them to. Like a book I would really recommend, for instance, about this is uh, Enrique's Journey. Mm -hmm. excellent book and you see all these religious elements Christian elements come into the journey so what if that needs to shape how we think about pilgrimage and how we think about the supper these are kind of the this is kind of how I think about the relationship between the supper and what Calvin's doing with it and my own journey of immigration yeah. and do you think your own journey and then because it's very personal work um, do you sometimes find that it, it does a bit harm, or is it hard to separate, or would you rather like to separate it? Yeah. Um, I think in, in academic work, you, you have to enter into a conversation realizing that it's been going on before you, um, that it's going to go on after you, um, and that it's always happening in particular places. Um, the conversation about migration looks slightly different here in West Michigan than the way it looks in Durham, North Carolina because of the demographics and the dynamics and the history. And it looks way different than it looks like in Peru right now, my native country, with uh, upsurge of Venezuelan migrants coming in, refugees and asylum seekers. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, you have to recognize this ongoing conversation, and you have to flag it in your work. So I'm listening to all these different stories from these different places. I'm also listening to these different authors and the different ways they're approaching it um, from all different cultural Christian and non-Christian angles. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, you flag that I'm not the only source. I'm not the only conversation, mm -hmm. one having a conversation. But at the same time, you recognize there is no way to talk about it outside of your personal location, mm -hmm. your history, and your place in it. 
And I actually think hiding that and acting like you're not talking about it from the particularity that you are, your history, your location, your, your place, actually does more harm than, than being upfront about it and thinking, I'm an immigrant and I'm thinking about this. So. I'm going to come back to that sense of home and sense of belonging because I think that's fascinating. Um, how do you then, you talked a little bit about struggling, should I go back, you know, should I return to Peru, mm -hmm. um, but you're here, mm -hmm. and so how are you reconciling, um, and maybe this is ongoing work, kind of those two identities yeah. um, or those two places of home? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it's an ongoing process. Um, it's not, I don't have the answer to that question. Mm -hmm. okay. I have some thoughts, like, I think we need to start moving beyond the language, um, or I should say expand, not moving beyond, but mm -hmm. expanding the language of assimilation and culturation. Because mm -hmm. uh, at its heart, it suggests that the process of migration, the process of leaving home, is really just about getting accommodated to a new culture. Mm -hmm. And it leaves place behind. It's also accommodating to a new place. It's part of what I was saying earlier about the air in Peru and the mountains and that sense of connection that you have when you go back home that I think everybody experiences. Like when my wife goes back to Iowa, I think she connects with the grain, the rolling <laughs> grain fields, and that you can see across, you know, for miles and miles. That's part of her imagination. It's part of how she worships God. That's how, part of how she participates in the world. So part of the thing is um, for me to think about not just uh, my relationship to people in different places, mm -hmm. not just how I'm related to people in Peru, family, community, and I'm related to people and family here, but also how I'm related to these two different places. And this is actually a place where uh, Calvin's been actually helping me, which mm -hmm. is to some of my surprise, and I'm sure to much of other people's surprise. <laughs> um, in his Eucharistic theology, Calvin talks about how um, we ascend to Christ by the Spirit, that the Spirit draws us up, unites us to Christ. It's that sort of a central figure of his, of his Eucharistic theology. Um, and I would, I would argue that that's part of the overall drama of Scripture, that Christ goes before us to heaven to prepare a place for us, John 14, that what we're entering to as Christians is the gathering up of all things into Christ to be reconciled. I mean, this is Ephesians 1 and Colossians 1. So I think that immigration needs to lean into this story, that the Spirit is somehow uniting people and uniting places, and that you can't love people without loving places. This is where it gets really real to me, like my love for my wife, Anna, who is from Iowa, mm -hmm. depends on my love for the land of Peru because the Spirit is simultaneously moving Peru and Iowa and me and Anna together into the space of reconciliation, of union with Christ. So I think that people have a really hard time, I have a really hard time getting this because we tend to play those against each other. Mm -hmm. Like if you really love this land and you love this people and you don't love that people. Mm -hmm. right, so I think that they actually depend on each other. You, in order to love the place well, in order to love the United States and the land that it is, you have to love the people from Mexico and the people from Canada and the people here. And if you don't, you're actually not loving the land well. And I think this is part of what happens with colonialism in the 15th and 16th century. Um, it's a, a type of vicious migration because it separated 
the desire to belong to a place, to make a new home from the people that were there, completely disregarded those people, um, denigrated them, I mean, literally destroyed them, annihilated many of them. That's not leaning into the Spirit's work, work of bringing all things into Christ. There's a lot more to go there, but just starting to sort of feel out, this is a very good question. Yeah, yeah, and it, your answer very hopeful as well, yeah. um, as you, you know, you mentioned the love of this place actually allows you to love, you know, the place of your wife or yes. the place of other people. Yes. Um, so moving a little bit forward with that and changing a little bit, talking about legislation with mm -hmm. immigration, yeah. um, you know, you're doing this kind of public theology or you're in this realm. Um, do you see your work informing that? Is that a hope of yours? Um, yeah, where do you move forward? Yeah, um, I'm very aware that my, my work needs to get there. Mm -hmm. um, and I want it to get there. I, um, but I want to slow down a little bit, mm -hmm. right? So I benefited from deferred action for childhood arrival while I was here in seminary. Like legislation played a big role in my journey. And yet, again, I want to go back to the idea that that conversation about legislation sometimes addresses the question only towards the citizen and the, and the state and the host. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't really answer these profound existential theological questions about where's home and how do we navigate leaving home and returning home. So part of what I think will happen is if we shift the frame of the conversation and ask the immigrant, ask if, once I start asking my fellow immigrants to think about how do you think about leaving home in light of your vocation as a Christian? How do you feel about returning or staying somewhere in light of what it means to be a follower of Christ? That might provide a different set of answers and expectations and possibilities for when we think about things like the border, for when we think about things like pathway to citizenship, mm -hmm. right? Because all of the way that it's being spoken about right now uh, just assumes a point of view of the citizen mm -hmm. and the, the, the sort of goods that the citizen seeks and, and the citizen's expectations and not the immigrant. Mm -hmm. So I don't have an answer. It's a wonderful question. I, I, I wish I could actually tell you specifically, <laughs> sure. but I feel like my work right now needs to focus on this first question. So ask me again in two years. All right. I will um, catch up. But yeah. I think what you're doing, though, is you're providing a different perspective. You're humanizing the issue, which complicates it for sure, uh, complicated more, but I think that's, that's what we need. We need to remember those stories of the individual. So do you have any books, you mentioned the Enrique story, any other books that you think does that well? It humanizes immigration. Yeah, so Enrique's journey is one, in both in Spanish and English. Mm -hmm. uh, another book that has been really influential for me is Gloria Anseldúa's Borderlands La Frontera. Um, um, this one's going to be a little more challenging to read as a Christian. You have to think outside the box. Mm -hmm. uh, Gloria Anzadua thinks about exactly these issues of home and belonging through her experience of uh, having crossed the border from Mexico and being a Chicana, mm -hmm. and also the experience of her religion, in, 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 which is not necessarily Christianity, but it's always mixed with Christianity. Mm -hmm. um, another pair of books that have really helped me to think about this issue um, on the historical end, uh, it's a book written by Rob Heimberger. Uh, it's called God and the Illegal Alien. The title's a little rough, <laughs> but actually it has to do with how that word came about. The history of, you know, uh, um, 
the legal history of immigration in the United States, but through a sort of theological angle. How can we analyze the laws that have been promulgated here in the States? Tisha Rajendra's book, Migrants and Citizens, is another sort of excellent book thinking about justice and how to think about justice when it comes to immigration. There's some other really good books um, that just are introductions into the issue that oftentimes I recommend um, churches when they ask me. Uh, one of those books is Immigrant Neighbors Among Us. Um, it's co-edited volume by Daniel Carroll and um, Leopold Sanchez. Mm -hmm. And they noticed that there's a, a bit of a gap in the field about thinking theologically, using the theological resources of, of different Christian denominations to think about immigration. They, they notice a serious problem is a lot of congregations, their members, um, think about immigration only through the prism of what they're hearing on TV and the news, mm -hmm. political prism, and so they end up espousing Republican views about immigration and Democrat views about immigration instead of a Christian view on immigration. Mm -hmm. um, so that's an excellent book to, to think it, they provide resources for thinking through each of the Protestant denominations and Roman Catholic denominations. What resources do they have to think about immigration? Um, and lastly, I would also recommend um, Daniel Carroll, uh, Old Testament professor at Wheaton College, has a great book on thinking through the Bible and immigration. Thank you very much. That's a great list. So I'll probably catch up on those at one point. Um, and then, yeah, a little bit more of a lighthearted question, but um, Peruvian traditions that you keep up with and uphold here. Yeah, yeah, great question. Thank you. I write most of my theology while listening to Peruvian music. Really? Um, a lot of it actually has to do with um, themes of Afro-Peruvian diaspora. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of it has to do with themes of leaving land and coming back and missing the land. It's a particular Peruvian tradition of balses. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, mm -hmm. they're like the equivalent of, you know, folk guitar and the <laughs> blues. It's the Peruvian version of the blues. Um, so I make sure to keep that. Um, I mean, I, so one of the things that actually really impacts uh, how I think about this issue is that I currently, my parents live at my place while I am petitioning them for um, immigrant visas and stuff. Mm -hmm. So um, having their presence, they're very much Peruvian, 24-7. <laughs> so whatever assimilation I've undergone uh, from living here for 18 years, you know, they're always there to remind me. Um, and to remind my wife <laughs> and my children. So it's lived, lived theology in our household. Um, so we, live, we have Peruvian food all the time, which is just delicious. And that's one of the best things that we have in Peru, which is woefully lacking in West Michigan. There's no <laughs> Peruvian food here. Um, ceviche, uh, anticuchos, uh, arroz con pollo, uh, all of these delicious Peruvian meals. Uh, it's a way of also being drawn back to the land. There's so. something about food that does that so powerfully. It is so important. I, go ahead, no, go ahead. Because you know what's funny is thinking about the specifics of land and how you, you know, you can't just replace a location. I mean, my mom is an excellent cook. I've tried to learn a lot from her. No matter how much we try, the food just doesn't taste the same. Absolutely. It just doesn't taste the same, mm -hmm. which speaks to this, like, you can't just switch places, use the same ingredients and think that, it can be the same. But anyway, you go on. <laughs> no, I was going to ask you for a specific um, name of the artist or artist of the Peruvian blues. Oh, Peruvian blues. Yeah. Oh, I just went to see her. She came to Durham. Susana Baca. 
Susana. Uh, excellent, excellent artist. Um, Eva Yon, another excellent artist. Los Morochucos, another. <laughs> yeah, so there's, there, I can name, name many. <laughs> um, probably all of them, you know, hard to spell. But <laughs> the, the Peruvian type of music that you could also look into is called festejo. Um, that's the Afro-Peruvian um, tradition of music. It's just, it's brilliant. It's brilliant too because um, the name of that genre, so festejo, means celebration. Mm-hmm. And yet many of the songs deal with really dark themes about slavery and then liberation, but not having a place to be in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're danced with so much joy and mm-hmm. happiness. And um, I just think it's a great insight into what God is doing, what spirits doing, what those people are doing with what life is giving them. So, yeah. um, talking about pilgrimage and all that, does the majority of the of the work you're doing, um, do you deal more with the Old Testament or the New Testament, or are you combining those? Yeah, I really try to do uh, both as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Old Testament, I mean, it's filled with the themes of exile and leaving home and mm-hmm. coming back home and then leaving again and diaspora and what it means to, to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul in the midst of these situations, which is very much the questions that I ask. Um, one particular text that has been significant for me for the, from the Old Testament is thinking about Joseph um, and his sort of exile into Egypt and the fact that there he marries an Egyptian wife mm-hmm. and has Egyptian children. Mm-hmm. Um, and that these Egyptian children, like literally the sons of a priestess or the daughter of the priest in Egypt, these become two tribes of Israel. Like I feel like the theological significance <laughs> of that is, cra- is insurmountable. We need to think more about how these things impact, how we think about immigration and, and people moving. Um, in the New Testament, I think a lot about missiology um, and what it means that Christ uh, tells people, sends people. Um, Of course, also about the ascension that we talked about earlier Mm -hmm. and how part of the vision of the New Testament is God gathering up all things into Christ, which is rooted also in Isaiah 2, um, something that was very important to one of my professors here at Western Tom Bogart. Mm -hmm. Um, In Isaiah 2, uh, also all the nations and the peoples of the world are gathering at Mount Zion, climbing up, and the word of the Lord is coming down. So also that same vision of the peoples being gathered together. And here's my favorite part of this. I get really excited (laughs) about this. Um, There's that verse, and then they will put down their swords and their lances and pick up plowshares. Mm -hmm. And so the reconciliation of people, the coming together of people separated by space, separated because they're enemies, separated because they're strangers, the other. That joining that happens in Christ at Mount Zion at the end of days also entails going back to the command to live into the land, to pick up the plowshare. plowshare. These things just go together, I think, all the way down. Loving place, loving people. It just happens together. Back to the land. I love that. Well, I think this has been a rich conversation, so I just want to thank you once again um, for your answers and just the way that you wrestle uh, with this and keep on with your work. So. Thank you. Absolutely. Happy to be here today.